Welcome back to the Deuce Rethread. We are a part of the DVR Podcasting Network. Check us out at dvrpodcast.com. My name is Mike, and I'm covering every episode of this show if it kills me. I'm here with Jason Bailey. Hello. Jason Bailey, how you doing? I'm okay. Uh, I'm upset. Why is that? Uh, we just watched the fourth episode yeah. uh, of season one. Yeah. And I'm upset because I'm getting everything I wanted. <laughs> uh, which is the world building of Treme uh-huh. and the dramatic tension of the wire. Yeah. And when you put those two things together, it's yeah. really creating some like some heavy, heavy fucking yeah. television, yeah. dude. That's true. That's true. But you know, I do think what one one element that we haven't mentioned yet that I think is important to acknowledge is that there it is heavy. But there's also some funny things happening on this show. Like the scene in this episode where uh, where Vinny goes to buy the gun is funny. Okay, that's yeah, yeah. clever. You know, the it's well constructed. The character of Black Frankie is funny. Right. Um, I've been working for you less than an hour. I got to kill somebody yeah. already. Yeah. <laughs> um, the ending the date scene with "You don't go out on many dates, do you?" Right. That's right. a good. That's a good button. Um, another good button on, uh, uh, this is much earlier in episode one. Um, I mean the entire interaction with the kid on the birthday in the first episode, that's like all funny, but local bank, right? That's a great closing. I mean, comic with her head between his knees. Perfect. Oh, yeah. Holy shit. Yeah. 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 <laughs> so there's funny stuff, you know, there's, there, there are moments of levity. Um, but yeah, it's, I mean, these are, but also know, a guy died while he was getting some head to that happened in this one up the stairs that happened in this one. So, yes. There's moments of levity, but yeah. Yeah. Also people dying. <laughs> um, we had another kind of non porn episode. I, yep. This is an interesting sort of pendulum swing that's happening. We had none at all in the first episode, fairly heavy in episodes two and three, and then not a lot of porn happening in this episode, episode 104, which is titled I See Money. Okay. Uh, The story credit goes to Pelicanos and uh, a novelist named Lisa Lutz, uh, who also has the screenplay credit. And neither of us were familiar with her. No, well, she has one previous, according to INDB, she has one previous credit, which is a screenplay on a Diane Keaton movie from 2000 called... Plan B that I've never heard of, which is rare, very rare. But she, uh, but she is is a novelist, and I would imagine runs in the same mystery novelist circles that Pelicanos and Price run in. And I and they were like, "Trust me, you can do this." I think they probably. I mean, we're this is total. <laughs> we're totally surmising the hire here, but that makes sense to me, right? Um, and then the director for this episode is Alex Hall who is primarily on IMDb as an editor, um, but among his editing credits are seven episodes of The Wire and 15 episodes of Treme, right. along with nine episodes of True Detective and two of The Deuce. So we'll see him again later later on in the season. And he's got um, a relationship with both relationships and there. HBO, obviously. Obviously, yes. Right. And also has uh, previously directed um, two episodes of Treme, as well as an episode of the CBS series Blue Bloods, just so you know. Okay. Um, so yeah, uh, but no, not a lot of porn in this episode, um, which I guess because the Maggie Gyllenhaal character's um, uh, desire to enter that industry 
was what provided a lot of that element to right. the first two. And since that clearly was, or the, sorry, the second and third, since that was clearly sort of stymied by the that wall she ran up against. On, yeah. yeah. So now I, but so now it was time for her to just get rained on for the entire episode. <laughs> My God. I would imagine basically what you're talking about here is, is a desire to, uh, make it abundantly clear that staying in the life she's, st- she's in is just simply not an option. And yeah. she's going to have to, you know, if it means finding another way in, she's going to have to find another way in, is I would presume where, where we're going with this. Um, and then also we have a sort of maybe sort of romance for her, which I don't know. Do we think that's going to go the place that we very much expect that story to go? I, I, do, I do not. I do not either. <laughs> um, you know, I mean, the, 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 you know, the romance that seems fine until he sees a reel or sees her on the, the corner or whatever it's, would be a pretty trite cliche way to go in that story and I don't think they would bother with, with it if it were going there um, yeah what we mainly saw in this episode was the sheer amount of, of uh, drinking the sheer amount of liquid courage it took for her to even go on a non-paid date. It seemed like she, I mean, she was drinking what looked like vodka mm-hmm. the whole day before yeah. she was drinking the wine. And yeah. she was clearly pretty fucking bombed at dinner. Yeah. You know, and so you would think that that probably wasn't that one bottle of wine. You'd no. think that was the cumulative effects of the day. Yeah. 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 So that's, so we learned that in this episode. We learned finally who sandra washington is okay a reporter for the amsterdam news working a story and the amsterdam news is a harlem-based newspaper still is and has been for a long time and has been is uh, a cornerstone of the black community in new york city and is considered let's say radical by the standards of the new york times Mm -hmm. but not by the standards of everyone in the neighborhood right so like so the amsterdam news actually has done a really it's kind of amazing how long they've been able to to hold up Mm -hmm. as uh, a credible and important source while never quite you know moving full into the you know, like sometimes the journalistic mainstream, if you will. Well, they they've they've both never really moved into the full journalistic mainstream, but they've also never really uh, became Minister Farrakhan. You know, right. where like it almost seems like they stumble into things that are right, as opposed to, um, you know, they've they've managed to thread a, a really interesting line um, yeah. that's not always easy, and it kind of seems like, you know. Like we talked about before, about, you know, part of kind of early feminism was women getting stories from other women. Yeah. It seems like that's something that, you know, the 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 editors of the Amsterdam News would have been conscious of that movement, right? right. The idea that they would have had a reporter <laughs> doing this work at yep. that time seems totally reasonable. I don't know if any of them actually, like, dressed up and... Mm-hmm. Other than the shoes, and and <laughs> went out on the walk, right? Great, great but, little touch there, yeah. Yeah, but yeah. that definitely played for the Amsterdam news, and yeah. I I think it's cool that they didn't just that they didn't make up, uh, you yeah. know, Harlem Weekly, you know what yeah, I yeah, mean, yeah. or whatever like that that they actually went with, and that's what you get when your guy used to write for the news. Yeah, exactly. No, <laughs> he knew about the Harlem news. I mean, the the the, the Amsterdam the Amsterdam news has been around since 1909. Yeah, um, and always black owned and operated like always a voice of the community by the community 
Um, so yeah, it was just Which a nice always leaves yeah. plenty of people that will call you, will say that you aren't radical enough. Right. And plenty, right. You know what yeah. I mean? Like, that's what I mean about that's a, that's mm-hmm. a hard line to thread sometimes. Yeah, you yeah. Know? totally. Totally. So yeah. So, and so, so good reveal on her on the, uh, I like the idea of her date with, uh, with officer Alston that turns out to be a stakeout at interview. That's a nice touch. Not a date at all. No, <laughs> not so much. Um, so yeah, so that coming to fruition and then also, uh, really appreciated the, um, how we're getting to know Paul, the bartender a little bit. Okay. Um, yep. in terms of his, not just his personal life stuff, which I'm sure we'll see more of, um, but getting a little bit into, you know, uh, queer identity mm-hmm. circa 1971. Right. Um, in that little, in the exchange between him and Vinny about the cigarettes, mm-hmm. and uh, which is so delicately written, mm-hmm. um, and then, but that, and that, and you know, this a little bit of this is sort of like you know wanting to transpose uh, current wokeness into a story told in the past. But I like, I like the fact that Vinny like is not you know came into that the the bar that very first time and struck a rapport with paul in that conversation about the cigarettes realizes he's fucked up Mm -hmm. wants him to take a break and have a talk with him and then really starting to get into like you know just vaguely just shallow but like queer identity politics right the business about dora prefers she Right, you know, right. Uh, just little stuff like that. That's um, that just gives it an extra richness. I don't know how well, much where that character is going to go or what that's what that's going to mean, but it's a night. It was a nice scene between the two of them. We had this conversation around uh, inherent vice when the movie came out, mm-hmm. and I I had read the book, and you hadn't read the book, and then I watched the movie, and I, there's a whole character we talked about this in the book that has basically invented the internet. Only the movie happens in like 1970 right. or whatever, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Now, if he wrote that book in 1970, right. that's amazing. <laughs> right? But when you sure. write that book in 2010 or whatever, sure. and you go back and write that guy, yeah. it just reads as, as false to me. Yeah. You know, and I like Pinchon. It's some of it's easier to read than others, you know. <laughs> but 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 the 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 thing about that character, Paul is the bartender's name, mm-hmm. right? That character existed then. Yes. Like, that's not the yes. guy that's, like, fake inventing the internet. Right, you know right, what right. I mean? Like, he talked about, he mentioned Stonewall. Like, Stonewall yeah. was a real event, yes. and real people were there, and some of them had on dresses and heels. Yes. Right? And so, like, so so the idea that, that you would have this character, okay, maybe, you know, there weren't a whole lot of that guy, mm-hmm. but you're not injecting a modern thing that purely didn't exist there right you could live in new york and never have the experience of meeting that guy Mm -hmm. (laughs) right but if you're walking into and revamping a former gay bar the idea that you would meet a guy who would be sensitive to those pronouns Mm -hmm. i that seems sure totally honest to me right so uh, yeah i thought that was i thought that was well like you said delicately handled the thing about the cigarettes and the Mm -hmm. you know no she really did like oh i'm not making it better (laughs) right right yeah and but another, th- what what I think was also important that they did in this episode was 
give us a, a sort of sharp reminder that our protagonist is not entirely sympathetic mm-hmm. by bringing back the ex-wife mm-hmm. and or separated wife, I guess, at this point. And, uh, you know, who, who has her, you know, problems of her own, but the kids miss you. Mm-hmm. Like, hey, reminder, this dude, whatever the issues were with the wife, abandoned his children. We have mm-hmm. not seen those children except sleeping in the bed when he left. Right. You know, right. and so let's not romanticize him too fucking much. Right. Um, what do we think about... Family values when it comes to his brother. Right. But... Yeah. Right. Yeah. Right. Not, uh, yeah. What do we think about the, the, this sort of mysterious proposal that, that is basically a bookend to this episode? That Rudy mm-hmm. brings up this money-making opportunity that he thinks, uh, that he thinks uh, Vince is the right guy for at the beginning... And then sort of shows him this thing that makes no, this room, this building that makes no sense at the end. What, uh, because when we were watching that, Mike, I said, oh, is this, is this porn? Is he talking about porn? Are they getting into porn? He's bringing him in to be his porn guy. And you said, no. Okay. I didn't think so. Yeah. (laughs) This is the first iteration of Guy Fieri's restaurant. Uh, it just took a long time to get off the ground. Uh (laughs) (laughs) He describes it as a, uh, as an oasis. Yes. In the desert. You yes. know what I mean? So yeah. to me, and also everything that this guy's been doing so far has been about some sort of nightclub type, you know, or a bar, yeah. which is a big thing for mob forever, sure. right? Sure, you sure. know? And so to me, it seems more like he is, like it's going to be, you know, sort of a really nice, like a Copacabana thing. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Like that kind of a really classy joint, you know, yeah, with yeah, a yeah. dress code and sure. you know what I mean and all that kind of stuff. And and uh no prostitutes, only escorts. You right. Know, right, yeah, right. Yeah, 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 yeah. No pimps, only, you know, yeah. married Johns with a, a real bank account, right? Yeah. Like so to me it seems like it's more of that kind of a thing. And and also the fact that he says to him, you know, like you're good with all kinds of customers. Yeah. You know, is what suggested to me that you know, he's going to build this out into some sort of a fancy hmm. establishment. Okay. Um, I, I just don't see, you know, it doesn't seem to me like he's, if it was going to be porn, it wouldn't have windows. No. Okay. Then at risk of sounding like the kind of impatient viewer <laughs> that we have previously, <laughs> you know, Dude. dragged over the coals. Uh, yep. When do we get to the porn? <laughs> it's not that I'm not enjoying myself. It's not that I'm not engaged by these characters. It's not that I don't love the 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 world that they're building for them. But seriously, when when does the porn start to happen? Well, there may be an element of uh, Inglorious Bastards here, where everybody thought they were going to like a Nazi kill an action movie, and like 15 minutes of it was actually that. Uh-huh. It wasn't that movie that they uh-huh. advertised at all. It okay. may be that you know that we're kind of we're sold a little bit on that. It may be that that stuff really ramps up in the next season or something yeah, like yeah. that. You know, yeah. but. I basically just think that that you're you're kind of like waiting for someone to flip the porn switch. Yes. Right? But there's not going to be a porn <laughs> no, switch. There's, there's going to be a bunch of little porn candles lit, yeah, yeah, and yeah. eventually they're going to light up the room. Yeah. Right? Yeah. But I think that it's pretty hard to see Candy going through another episode of this trajectory before something yeah. else happens. Of course. Right? I mean, literally, dude died while his dick was in her mouth. Like, yeah. it's pretty yeah. hard to go down. Unless to she go, got, like, robbed on the much, way out of the hotel. Yeah, it's right? hard to, to sink much lower than that. <laughs> the cops arrest her for murder or something. Yeah. Like, it's yeah. hard to see that really moving forward. 
in which case you have to think. And what I'm assuming is that the guy who told her no, or, you know, I'll call you if I ever want to put film in the camera, is going to have a change of heart, is mm-hmm. my assumption. Mm-hmm. Because otherwise, like, right. is she, like, saving up money to go buy lights or right. something? Like, yeah. that seems much, much harder to imagine. Yeah. What seems easier for me to imagine is a scenario where <clears throat> he decides he's going to put film back in the camera. She says she doesn't want to be on it but can I just come watch mm-hmm. and then just pops up and it turns out she's useful. Right. You know, because how mm-hmm. often have you seen something like that? Oh happen? yeah. Many, many, many sure. times where somebody comes around and they're just going to help out and yeah. it turns out they're useful and it's not even the next project. It's the next day. They yeah. have more responsibility, yeah. <laughs> yeah. you know? No, that's true. Um, a couple of small moments that I just pin or, uh, I just, uh, put, uh, put aside as, as things I th- thought we should talk about the little pause Maggie Gyllenhaal takes in the bar before answering the you up for a date question. Mm, she so just, good. she just fills that oh pause. My God. She just, without doing anything uh, obvious without in being indicative on her face or any of the sort of lazy actors tricks. She's just like, she's really gonna, she's got to think about that question and formulate an answer. And that also gives you the opportunity to put all the answers that you could potentially conceive of right. in that space. Yep. Right. And kind of personalize that moment. Yep. Um, while also, I assumed she was going to say no. Yeah. But then she did not. Yeah, she should have. I, sh- I think she should have said. I don't want to second <laughs> guess anyone. got a room on a lower floor. I don't. Th- I don't want to second guess anyone's decisions, but I think she'd have been better off to have turned that one down. There you go. Um, but just the fact that you didn't know. Yeah. And then the fact that that she surprised me at least with the answer. I, yeah. I just that was all very well done. Yeah. Well done. Um, sex workers talking about periods. No, oh, it had to happen. Shop talk. It had to happen. Yeah. It had to happen. Yeah. And it's uncomfortable. As a person without a vagina, <laughs> sometimes to listen to to yes. like the brutal details, mm-hmm. right? But also, I mean, you know, with the way that I mean, dudes talk about their balls and there's yeah. catheter fucking commercials and <laughs> prostate exams. Yeah. Every, well, yeah, you know and I mean? then and then the you know pimp removes himself from the situation yes. to go to the to the the lunch counter and have shop talk with the other pimps about periods. <laughs> So everybody's got to commiserate on this. And that was also, I think I just a moment where I was really struck by like kudos. I, I'm, I think there's about a 95% chance that when method man was hired, maybe even that he like, there was a continue, like <laughs> it was a requirement of the hire that he got to, to rock the super fly. Look. Yeah. Like, but that's an excellent choice. And there was a moment where I was like, it that's off because Superfly came out in 72 but, but then I'm like, no, they were shooting in '71, and they like they found some dudes who were rocking and it that look based 70. on yes. somebody. It was something. based on somebody. Also, I'd never heard the phrase uh, "I don't mind a little ketchup on my hot dog" before. I think but that yeah, I'm not, I'm not, I wasn't familiar with that, but no. I, but it works. Yeah, 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 hundred yeah, percent. Yeah, um, <laughs> we. We keep meaning to talk about the opening. The credits. opening credit. We keep meaning to and because not. Yeah. Holy shit. <clears throat> yeah. I yeah. mean. When you're walking in with a Curtis Mayfield track, mm-hmm. you got to live up to it. Yes. Yeah. I uh, know. I was going to say, when you're walking in with a Curtis Mayfield track, you're already like 80% there for one of the <laughs> great, like, 
television opening <laughs> credit sequences. Uh-huh. Fair. So you only got to do another 20%. <laughs> Uh, and they do more than 20, like with, you know, a nice mixture of, of archival footage and, you know, aged new stuff and so forth and so on. But no, you're right. It's like the thing that, that, that Tarantino said about Superfly, mm -hmm. about how um, there's this great uh, uh, badass cinema, which is a black exploitation documentary uh -huh. from about 10, 15 years ago, where he says that he that he's not a fan of the opening credits of Shaft because he feels like they don't live up to that song. <laughs> he says that like if I'm gonna start a movie with the theme from Shaft, I'm gonna start a fucking movie with it. I'm not just gonna have a guy walking around Times Square, which is yeah, fair. Um, but like the 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 way the 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 energy and the 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 funk of that track and the way that it like gets you hyped every time it could like. You know, with a, with most television shows, you're like, oh, fast forward past the opening credits. Like, All of them. We, yep. we uh, dear listener, our experience this last <laughs> time on this last episode. You know, I've been making a note of jotting down the who writes and directs each episode, and I had missed it this time because I was so enjoying Get Down by Curtis Mayfield. <laughs> That I was like, oh, I got to run it back. And then, like, you know, the screener platform we're using does not have a smooth run it back option. And so we basically went back to the beginning of the actor credits. And I was like, I'm not mad about it. <laughs> oh, well. I'm fine with it. I'm totally fine. And it with is it. a mix of archival and because some of the shots are of actors yeah. in the show. Sure. Right? I'm yeah. not mixing that up. No. Yeah. And I, you know, that's always super cool when they mm -hmm. can. You know, I love to see the film, you know, the numbers roll off yeah. and, and, you know, the dirty. And mm -hmm. that's something too. like talk about because we're just going to get real inside real quick just to talk about this credit sequence. Talk about how film got dirty like that. Oh, well, sure. Um, why does old why do old shitty movies look that old way? Old right? movies, mean, because yeah. Because they are it's 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 the same. There's the scratches, there's the smudges, yeah. there's dirt. Yeah. But it's always a very similar feel. Right. Well, and there's a reason that that sort of that look and aesthetic is so sort of tied into whenever anyone now is trying in some in some way or another to recreate the look of grindhouse cinema. And the reason for that, put very simply, is that those grindhouses um, were, as we mentioned in earlier episodes, second and third and fourth run theaters, where literally second, third, or fourth, i.e. by the time a print got to one of those theaters, it had been all over the place and it had been run through 100 projectors five, six times a day. And the prints were just beat all to shit. That's just wear and tear on the print. So there was like scratches sometimes from, you know, from shitty projectors mm -hmm. or thumbprints from shitty projectionists. Yes. Or... or, you know, things were like, you know, they had had like somebody didn't make a splice well when they were putting two reels together. And so you lose like the end of a scene or, you know, there were all there were it was a it's a physical product it's not right. a digital right. uh medium so in the process of that physical artifact being passed around the country it just got beat all the shit um and so uh, sometimes you know some of these older films you know negatives were not well preserved there you know things were ended up being mastered to later formats from inferior quality prints um and then other times there are, you know, filmmakers like Quentin Tarantino and Robert Rodriguez and the like who in recreating a grindhouse type movie 
replicated that part of the experience that they remember from seeing those movies when they were younger in those original settings where they were playing in a theater on the deuce that was on an all day continuous loop. They would have three movies just in rotation all day. Um, and you know, it was not, a, it was not an environment where, uh, preservation was, right. uh, uh, top of mind. They weren't going into a climate controlled salt chamber at they the end not. of every day. <laughs> they right. certainly were not. No. Uh, so yeah, it's a great opening credit sequence that, but it, that is sort of, you know, making a promise that the show has to keep in terms ah, of what it's about nice. and in terms of, nice. uh, of the kind of things they're going to show us. I want to, I want to underscore, I'm not impatient. Again, uh, I trust these, these, these creators. I'm obviously giving them the benefit of the doubt. And again, I sort of admire that they're willing to be this patient. Right. Uh, there's nothing happening in the show that I'm bored with. But see, I think it's interesting what you said about, you know, of the vehicle for most of this conversation in the previous two episodes has been Candy's character. Yeah. And in this episode, it she just didn't have a lot of free space Mm-mm. in the brain. Yeah, just didn't have a lot of room in the in yeah. the mental space. Just sort to of be getting pounded to, on for you know, for an hour, right? Yeah. And yeah. so it seemed like you know if you were going to do that, this was a good episode to do it. Yeah. Um, and uh, we saw a bus ticket mm-hmm. in the book. For the, yeah, the darling thought was so good. Yeah, the relationship that's happening uh, between Darlene and Abby is 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 actually I'm not I'm having a little trouble with that relationship. Okay, I think I I I guess the the middle scene struck me as as almost felt like it had been written by someone who hadn't written the first, the scene between them in the last episode and the, the second fix scene. The fix your shoe scene. The fix your shoe scene was weirdly tense. Uh-huh. And, it, and I was fine with it taking that turn after the sort of like camaraderie, not camaraderie, but sort of like patience and affection of the first meeting in the hi-hat in the mm-hmm. previous episode. Mm-hmm. But then like the third scene between them, the second scene in this episode... Uh, it was like that weird tent scene hadn't happened, and it felt much more of a continuation from the scene. Right. The first one. <laughs> right. I don't know. It feels like something got rewritten somewhere along the line, but the other scene didn't get rewritten to accommodate that rewrite. Right, 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 um, right, right. I don't know. Right. But I like. But the point is, it feels more like the relationship's going to be the first and third scene, and I like that Which relationship. The one I like better, right? Yeah. Right, yeah. 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 I like the idea of them sort of filling a need for each other in some way. The one thing that I that did really strike me though about that that second scene that we're talking about um, is hold on let me find it uh, oh when she says um, when when uh, Abby asks her uh, why do you do this I'm just trying to understand and she replies you don't need to understand yep. and I thought about your talks with sex workers that yep. you were mentioning in the previous episode and I yep. I that's just an interaction to to bear in mind yep okay. Yep. Well, I think that that has, you know, I think that that's an interesting part of this is that, you know, what they what she's saying is I don't need your approval. Right. The words she says is you don't need to understand. But what Mm -hmm. she's saying is I don't need your approval. And I think that that's 
one of the really fascinating things about this that is actually going to play into everyone's experience of watching this show, just not just my experience of, of trying to conduct interviews, mm-hmm. which is that we bring our judgments of course, of these characters to these things, mm-hmm. right? And so there is a sort of, you know, um, there can be condescension in the drive to protect. Yeah. Right? Yeah. There can be... Totally arrogance Mm -hmm. in you know in the drive to Mm -hmm. quote-unquote educate someone Mm -hmm. right and and there can be a presumption of knowing better there can be real insult Mm -hmm. in in you know the way these things are approached depending on how the conversation is had and smart television writers which Mm-hmm. I think we can assume that we're dealing with here are yeah. going to know that yeah. are going to know we are bringing those biases to the table and they're going to fuck with us for it. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Absolutely. They're going to hold it against us. They're Absolutely. not going to let us just walk around with that. Yeah. And I feel like with the wire, they really were doing that more with police mm-hmm. than anybody else. Mm-hmm. You know, if you sat down to watch this show, cause it was like, you're, cop drama that you thought you were your, your <laughs> that CBS you procedural you, yeah you, that yeah. was not what you were getting my yeah, friend no. this is not blue bloods yeah. you know yeah. and it was and it didn't it never suggested it was going to be sure. you know and and i so i think that that they did that to us in that show and that certainly affected my viewing of the show mm-hmm. you know in the same way that like when you watch oz you know the the guards were Right. You know, I mean, Orange is the New Black is cool, but like that dude with the mustache is not, that dude wouldn't have survived a week in Oz, (laughs) you know, right? Like, I mean, and so I think it's, you know, I think that they are, that they are going to fuck with our presumptions, Mm -hmm. um, you know, as uh, in in pretty strong ways. And I'm actually really looking forward to it, you know, and it could be that that. You know, I'm like, oh, good, you gave her a bus ticket, you know, and then I'm like, oh, but I like her character. I don't know if I want her to leave the show. Oh, maybe she'll give it to Larry and he'll leave, you know, right? And I'm like running through yeah. all these kinds of scenarios in my mind. But let's not forget that, like, this chick works every day. If she wanted to go to the fucking Greyhound and buy a fucking bus ticket, right. she could fucking do it. Yeah. She doesn't need this bartender's permission. Right. To get on that Greyhound. Right. And she doesn't need her money. Yeah. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Now, if it can act as some sort of encouragement or something. Right. But that's not, you know, mm-hmm. sometimes your middle-class pep talk is not what people need. Yeah. No. Yeah. And that, you know, and like, and, and I, that, like, just the fact that that is all kind of bubbling there. Yeah. Uh, I think is really fascinating, especially because I said after the first episode, oh, well, the Abby, like, she's going to be the one that gets into porn. You know, we were presuming everyone was going to end up in <laughs> this porn. whole thing was going to have a lot more to do with porn than so far it has. Right. We're just figuring out everyone's route to porn. <laughs> and so I'm really fascinated to see what what happens with that character. Does she end up yeah. writing at the Amsterdam News? Probably right. not. But, right, I don't, right, right. you know, I'm fascinated to see where that goes, because yeah. to me, it's very uncertain. Yeah. At this point, yeah. you know, it's pretty easy to see like, OK, this is where Gyllenhaal hits rock bottom. Right. You know what I mean? Like she's not on drugs. What happens to her is a guy dies, you know, right. That's her rock bottom. You right. know, we're kind of seeing these. But where the Abby character goes, I don't know. Yeah. So uh, great show by fucking James Franco. 
Mm-hmm. I'm going to have to go and watch the shit of his I haven't seen. <laughs> well, no. Uh, not all of it, mm, but some of it. Well, I'll make you a list. <laughs> okay, great. <laughs> I'll make you a list. <laughs> and you know, when I said, like, I've mostly seen him in the Seth Rogen movies, I didn't mean that that was that I didn't like them or sure. him. Just sure. that that's not the thing that's going to drive me. Mm-hmm. It's not Philip Seymour Hoffman and Boogie Nights where right. you're like, please show me every inch of film that's sure, ever sure, been sure. recorded of him. Yeah. Yeah. You know what I mean? So. Yeah. Well, and there's, you know, he, he the thing that's that struck me the most, particularly in sort of stark contrast to the gimmick, is he can he when he's not when he's sort of left untethered can be a very showy look at me actor, mm-hmm. and he's really natural. Like mm-hmm. when he's just back behind that bar and just like with the cigarette hanging out of his mouth and just like talking to to people on the other side, like I I a hundred percent believe him. Mm-hmm. It's a very lived in piece of work. Yeah, you know this is a guy who's 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 who didn't just get behind a bar, yeah, but who's been behind a bar probably for the better part of his adult life, and he carries that in those scenes. Right, he right. carries that feeling of someone who's comfortable back there. Yeah, you know. Um, it it's, was it was interesting to see him stumble into sex with Abby too, mm-hmm. because that's been like clicking along yeah. from the very first time they met, and she sure. stays instead of leaving with the cop, she yeah. stays to talk to him. Yeah. You know, we've been kind of leading up to that, but when it actually landed, mm-hmm. he kind of stumbled into it. Yeah, you know, which was interesting too, and I'm sure, um, not a role he often plays in right. his actual walking around life. No. Doesn't seem like. (laughs) So, all right. Well, um, I mean, I have to say, like, this one was really... uh, Part of me feels like it wasn't that... The episode four wasn't that great of an episode, really. But also, like, I just... My blood pressure is... Like, I feel much tenser <laughs> after that episode than yeah. I have after any of the other ones. Yeah. And that's not a sign of a of something that isn't keeping up. Yeah. That's a sign of something very well done. Yeah. When I'm feeling like... Ah, Cece mm-hmm. was barely in this one, and he was the one who was giving me nerves yeah. before this episode. And somehow yeah. he was not in it, and I'm worked up Yep. after episode four. Yep. Damn, that is like... Yeah. That's good stuff. That's yeah. good stuff. It's also like, I have to say, um, after doing, I mean, we've just been, it's just been so much, because we are recording this with just a couple of weeks after the end of season seven of Game of Thrones. Um, and I spent a lot of time talking and thinking and all that kind of, this show is so much fucking better. <laughs> <laughs> It is incredible to like watch something that is. Uh, it really feels different to sit down and watch something that is just masterfully mm-hmm. written and created, and doesn't rely on dragon fire, right? To like get you through the end. Yeah, there's a lot going on in that show that I really that is really very good, right? But it is all about the interplay of the characters over a long period of time. Yeah, episode over episode. You know, this is not nearly as much to recommend it, mm-hmm. right? And especially at this point, like if you don't know about his history, then when John pets the dragon, like you don't give a shit. Like it is not <laughs> right. interesting at right. all if you don't know about his history, right? right. And this show is just created a compl- such a different dynamic, mm-hmm. you know, and just coming right on the on the back end sure. of that other show, it's really just standing out to me sure. how different it is mm-hmm. and how much more um, 
like ominous mm-hmm. it is because mm-hmm. I've, I, what I really enjoyed about Game of Thrones this season is that I was able to experience something as pure escapism, which happens very rarely in my adult life. Sure. Right. But this like what happens to Cersei and these dragons has no consequences in my life. Right. And with, you know, as consequential as it has felt to be an American in 2017, mm-hmm. right? And all of the politics and everything that's going on and how intense everything is. It has been really, it was really nice for me to like take a break from having to give a right. shit about any of that. Right. To, to talk about whether the blue fire coming out of the dragon's mouth was ice or really hot fire or, right? right? Like, because who yeah. gives a shit? Because it means nothing, you know, right? And And, but this, the way this show is playing out so far the the threat it feels more ominous because the threat seems so much more you know you could go to times square tonight and either try to bag and rape a lady or get stabbed by a guy like mm-hmm. those things remain real yeah um in a way that it's just kind of it's really fascinating to see it play out here and i think the fact that it's having such a kind of powerful effect on me is a real shout out to to the mm-hmm. creators of the show all the way around yeah um so, okay, uh, man, I got to take a break and go for a walk or something. <laughs> Four episodes of The Deuce in a day is, is yeah. some heavy, heavy shit. Yeah. Thank you very much, Jason Bailey. Thank you. We'll be picking up episode five shortly. Join us. Thank you for listening to The Deuce on the DVR Podcast Network. You can check us out at DVRpodcast.com or on Twitter at DVRpodcast. You can email Mike and Jason at thedeucedvr at gmail.com or follow them on Twitter at thedeucedvr. <laughs>